And it's good to be with you. I, I don't know if you had to fight the, the delay this morning. One of the topics uh, that we're going to deal with in Ephesians today is anger. And uh, some people said, yeah, we had a test this morning. We had to wait for a long time to get um, through that road to get to church this morning. So we'll see if you had a test designed by God. Um, and, uh, and we'll see. Becky reminded us that could have been really good time to, to give thanks. This morning, we're going to continue uh, as we make our way slowly through a letter written by Paul 2,000 years ago to a church that he planted with people he loved, where he spent about three years of his life. And it's a, a, a letter, a long letter, six chapters, that uh, doesn't have a lot of um, problems to correct. It's really a love letter. Paul is just saying how much God loves this group of people and what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And uh, we said the theme of the book is, because this is his most common phrase, as Christians we are in him, we're in Christ, and he's in us. And so that's us in him and us is the theme. The, the book begins in chapter 1 by giving the theme of the first half of the book. And here's what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then over the next three chapters, he's going to enumerate those blessings. He's going to say, this is who you are. And it's a really good picture. This is what God has given to you. These are the resources, the riches he's made available to you. This is what he thinks of you. And it's really, really good. And so it, all, it begins with who we are, our identity. And then in chapter 4, it switches from our identity to how we're supposed to live in light of who we are. So as a prisoner for the Lord, remember Paul's writing this letter while he's in prison. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to... And actually the word live is, is um, in Greek, it's the word walk. Walk worthy of the calling you've received. You were called to all these great things. Now live in light of it. Walk based on who you are. And so now the second half of the book is all about who we are and how we're supposed to live in light of who we are. We began, remember, with if we are in fact Christians, we are members of one body. And we should be united because we share so much in common. That does not mean that we do everything the same because we have a lot of differences among us. But then it highlights the attributes that we need to have to be unified and the things around which we need to unite to be unified. Then, lest we think that we're just one body mindlessly, he says, oh, no, no, no. The next section is, you are individuals to whom God has given gifts. Every single one of you. And those gifts are incredibly important. We need to utilize them for the building up of the body. And that's what he says secondly. He starts with unity, then he talks about gifts. And today, he's going to talk about something different. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's always a privilege to look into the Bible. It's an incredible book. It, it just breathes life. It um, tells the truth. It's so human, yet so divine. Thank you. Today, may your Holy Spirit enable us to understand. But more than that, may it do something to us, change us in some way. To this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Our culture seems to be infatuated with the concept of new. Um, if we were right now at the end of December, you could go online and you'd find any number of hundreds of websites talking about how you can become a new you in the new year. Just relax. Open the door to a new you in the new year. You can have um, a new exercise regimen. You can make a new start. You can have new resolutions and you can have a new body. In fact, we all want that, I guess. And so um, we even have a new You magazine featuring Martha Stewart here on it. Um, uh, it's, it's a big concept. And have you noticed how many of our idioms are filled with the word new? Um, it goes, break new ground. Feel like a new man or a new woman. Um, it's a whole new ball game or you can have a new lease on life or a new normal or a new slant or see something in a new light or turn over a new leaf. Oh, our language is just full of the word new because we like new. And today we're going to see that God likes new too. Today we're going to look at a topic that uh, is going to be very, very, very powerful in God's word because God wants us to be a new you. A new you in him. And so one of the great uh, goals of walking as a Christian is not only to be unified as a body, to individually use the gifts that God has given us for the building up of the community of God's people, but now to walk differently because we're new people. That's at least what we're supposed to be. Now, you've probably heard it said um, many times, um, I've got... Um, <clears throat> Good news and bad news. Which would you like first? Bad news. Okay, we always say the bad news. So let's begin with the bad news. Paul's going to have good news and bad news to tell to the people that he's writing to, and he's going to start with the bad news. Because he's going to begin with, before you can become the new you, you need to see what the old you is like, and you can't live that way anymore. So here's what he says. So this, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. So he's being very direct. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, who's he talking to? Gentiles. Here's what he's saying. Now I insist on this. You Gentiles must not live as Gentiles. You go, what? What are we supposed to live like then? Someone has said, and I think this is an exact parallel for us, and I would say it to you, Americans, you must not no longer live like Americans. Every, if, if, if we were in, in, in Britain, I would say English. You must no longer live as the English do. Or if we were in Timbuktu, I'd say Timbuktuians. We must no longer live as the Timbuktuians live. That's what he's saying. He's saying, though you are in this culture, though you are Gentiles in this culture, you must not live like the Gentiles do. Why not? The first thing is their minds. In the futility of their thinking. I'm, <clears throat> there is a radical different difference between a Christian worldview, the way we see life, 
and an American worldview. They are not the same. What's different? Our American worldview right now, and it's getting more and more prevalent in our culture, the worldview is this. People, you get 70, maybe 80, and if you're real lucky, you get 90 years on this planet. And then you die. And that's all she wrote. It's all you get. Now, since you only get 70 years on this planet, and there's nothing more, what should you do with your life? Now, the altruistic ones among you might say, well, I'd like to make the life better for somebody else. <laughs> nice. So that they can get their 70 years. Or you could say, as most do, if I only get 70 years, I'm in this for me. I'm in it to make my life as happy and as peaceful as I possibly can because that's all we get. Christians do not have that worldview. This life is incredibly important, but this life is a drop in the bucket of eternity. We don't live just for this life. We live for eternity. The worldview of our culture, and there's no question about this. You go to any TV program, you go to any magazine, it will scare you in the face and scream at you. Your happiness is what matters most. Christians, that is not our worldview. Our worldview is not based on happiness being our, whole, our highest goal, but holiness being our highest goal. It is not based on how much peace I have, but it's based on righteousness. It's not just based on the 70 years I get here, but it's based on eternity. That changes everything. The worldview is different. And so he says, Americans, you must not live as Americans do. Because the thinking, the worldview, is not right. Why? They're darkened in their understanding. Again, the mind. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They, they think that all we have is this life. And so when people in our world seek their own personal peace and happiness, we should say, well, of course, obviously you do that. After all, our, our Constitution, uh, our, 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 our documents, major documents, guarantee life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the goal of people's lives. But that is not our goal. When we live in America and American people pursue happiness as their highest goal, I am not surprised. In fact, they should. But... When the church of Jesus Christ in America, as we do overwhelmingly, teaches people who show up week after week, the primary goal is your personal happiness. We have made a major mistake. That is not our primary goal. And what we've done as American churches is we have let the worldview of the society usurp the worldview of the Bible. That's wrong. Because what is at the heart, the heart 
of the worldview of the society. What is on the throne of the heart? Me. I am on the throne of my heart. I want to do what's in my best interest. My individual choices matter. Choice is the number one world. My choice. But what's, at the, what's in the heart, the motivational heart of a Christian? It's not me on the throne. It's Jesus. It's Christ. We have a different person that's, that's in, on our heart. And because the motivation of our heart is not to please me primarily, it's to please Christ. It's not to be me primarily. Who, just be who you are. Be honest with yourself. No, I want to be honest with Jesus. So the worldview is different, and the motivational core is different, and that changes the way that we live our lives. It begins in the mind, our worldview. It affects then our motives, and then the way we live our lives. Here's the end, the, the lifestyle then. Having lost all sensitivity, give themselves over to sensuality, so and to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Well, of course, if the goal is my own personal pleasures, my own personal peace and happiness, what I'm going to pursue is I, I want to feel good. I want to do what makes me happy. That's going to be at the core of my lifestyle. But that is not, that's the old you. That's not the new you. Unfortunately, that's not us. Mark Knoll wrote a book entitled The Scandal of the, American, of the Evangelical Mind, and here's his theme. The scandal of the evangelical mind is that there isn't one. We don't have an evangelical mind. What do we have? We have an American mind. Our worldview is not dominated by the, word, by the word of God, it's dominated by the worldview of America. And the Apostle Paul acknowledged that with the Ephesian people. Remember, the Ephesian people are living in the very place where one of the greatest wonders in the world is there. That's the temple of Artemis. Where immorality, some of their own people said, this place is like the epitome of immorality. That's where they're living. And of course, you can imagine the Christian church in Ephesus takes on the norms of its culture. It's very easy to do. We all do it. But it says, you, that's the old you. The old you. The wor your worldview is dominated by just your, how you can make life better for you here at the, sea, at, the, at the motivational heart of your life is yourself. And it affects your lifestyle because... If that's the case, this is what you will do. This is the Apostle John writing. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, by the way, the word love means where the, your primary goal of your life is the world. That's the Gentiles. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what is the world? What is it that, that characterizes Gentiles or Americans? What is it that, that characterizes 
the worldview that is not consistent with the worldview of Christ. What is it? Now, interestingly, it's the exact same things, three things that Satan used to tempt Eve. It's the exact same three things that Satan used to tempt Jesus. And it's the exact same things that the Apostle John says we will have to wrestle with. Here they are. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. This is it. Now, this is the world. There is nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with appropriate self-esteem. Nothing. There's horrible things wrong when the goal of your life is your own personal pleasure. There's something horribly wrong with your life when the goal of your life is the accumulation of stuff. And there's something horribly wrong with your life when it's all about you. He said, that's what the world produces. You live primarily for your own personal pleasures. You live primarily for the accumulation of as much stuff as you can. And you live to stoke your own ego. Martin Luther said this. He said, this is what sin is. Sin is a human being curved in upon himself. In other words, you live your life for yourself. Now, it's reflected in our sayings. People who live their lives primarily for their cravings for pleasures come up with things like this. Just follow your heart. Or, if it feels good, do it, of course. Or, you only go around once in life, for, so grab for all the gusto you can get. Or, make your own happiness the priority of your life. That's what it looks like. And when materialism is the goal of your life, you get statements like this. And this comes from Malcolm Forbes. He who dies with the most toys wins. One day I'm as rich as Bill Gates. When he goes into the grave, and I do, we're both penniless. He's not one penny richer than I am. Or this one comes from Bo Derek. Whoever said money can't buy happiness simply didn't know where to go shopping. Okay, I don't know where you go shopping, but you aren't going to find it. Live your life for the accumulation of stuff or egotism. You build your life around me, myself, and I. And then you end up like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Or this phrase, I totally agree with myself. Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> we do not live for these things, but we have to choose. Are we going to make Christ the priority of our lives? That would be a worldview, and that would be the motivational heart of our lives, and it will affect the way we live our lives. Or... Are we going to make our own personal happiness, peace and happiness, the priority of our lives? If so, it will affect our worldview, 
It'll affect the motivations of our hearts and it will affect the way we live our lives, depending on what we put as our goal. So we choose. We can choose to live, because Paul's speaking to Christians. He says, Christians, you can continue to live like Gentiles if you want. You, Christians here at First Baptist Church, we all can continue to live like Americans. Or you can choose to be who God intended you to be. What's that? Well, here it is. Now he's going to say, this was the bad news. Now here's the good news. This is the new you in him. You, however, you're not the old you. You're the new you. You, however, you did not come to know. Again, it begins in the mind. Just like the worldview of the Gentiles begins in the mind, the worldview of a Christian begins in the mind. You did not come to know what? Christ. The centerpiece of the Christian worldview is Christ. He's the centerpiece. Jesus is the content. Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the, is the classroom. Jesus is the center. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him accordance with, in, with the truth that is in Jesus. Jesus didn't just teach the truth. Jesus was the truth. He embodied the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is truth. So obviously if you want to live in truth, you have to know Jesus. Conversion is a renunciation of a self-centered identity in favor of a Christ-defined identity. Conversion is the restructuring of a person's thinking by the Holy Spirit as a result of a direct encounter with the love of God in the person of Christ. That's what a, the word repentance, by the way, in its most basic meaning, means we've changed our minds. We've changed our minds. We've decided we're going to turn around and we're no longer going to live our lives as Gentiles, as Americans, primarily for our own personal peace and happiness. We're going to make Christ the focus of our lives. Why? Because Christ's love has changed us and the Holy Spirit lives in us and everything has changed. He goes on, you were taught, again, back to the mind, you were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So he begins with the mind, and now he's going to shift to clothing. He's going to say a big part of being a Christian is you've got to take off some clothes. What clothes? You've got to take off the clothes that you wore in your old self, namely the clothes that were primarily focused on your personal pleasure, the stuff you could accumulate, and your own ego. You must take that off. Why? Because that will for sure corrupt you. And what do you put on instead? Be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self. What's that like? Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we take off certain things and we put on something else. That's the call of God. So we get to choose. Old you or new you. Now, at this point, um, I could end and we say, hey, let's go home. 
And you people would go home and you'd say, I guess a nice sermon, but nothing very practical in that, is there? Paul knows that. And so the next half of the passage, he's going to say, okay, I know what you're saying. Take off this, put on this, big deal. What does it look like in real life, in practice? It's one thing to say, take off the Gentile and put on Christ. And we leave this place and we go, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to take off Americanism and I'm going to put on Christ. What does that mean? So now he's going to give us five very, very practical ways that we can do that. Now he's going to do it in the same format for every one of them. He's going to first of all say, okay, if you're going to be a follower of Christ in the new you, this is something you've got to get rid of. You've got to take this one off. This is what you've got to put on. And then this is why you must do it. Now, taking these things off, most of these things you'll find that you're supposed to take off, almost anyone in our society would agree with it. Most of the things, not all of them, that it says you're supposed to put on, our society would agree with it. But the reasons why are not what our society would say. So now let's look at the five things practically we're supposed to do as the new you. Here's the first one. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood. Now, anyone in our culture today would say, well, yeah, yeah, it's not good to tell lies. You shouldn't tell lies. We go, we agree. Okay, what should we do? Speak truthfully to your neighbor. And most people in our society would completely agree with this. They'd say, yes, you shouldn't tell lies. You should speak truthfully with other people. But why? Why tell the truth? Here's the reason. Because if we are part of the church, we're members of one body. What happens when my leg doesn't tell the truth to my brain. And the signals get mixed up somewhere in there. Well, my leg doesn't work. Because the, the, the functioning of my body depends on the electrical impulses of all the parts of my body telling my brain the truth. If it does not, I'm finished. And it's the same way in the body of Christ. If we do not tell each other the truth, if we cloak things in lies, if we don't tell the truth to one another, we are just going to destroy the body because we are members of one another. There's a very great incentive to tell the truth. Why? Because we're members of one body. That's why. Here's the next one. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, this is this week's Time magazine. I took this out of this week's magazine because I thought, whoa, that's perfect. That fits this week's sermon. Here it goes. This is page 19. Viral anger spreads like a disease, and it's making the country sick. Perhaps the only thing we can agree on at this painfully divisive moment in our national history is that all this anger and derision in which we're marinating isn't healthy. Not for us, not for our kids, and certainly not for the country. But as a nation, we can't seem to quit. 
we're so primed to be mad about something every morning, it's almost disappointing when there isn't an infuriating tweet to share or a bit of our moral turf to defend waiting in our phones every morning. It is contagious. We are a society right now absolutely riddled with anger. Here's what God said. In your anger, do not sin. Now that's a, very, that's a quote from the Old Testament. Anger is not evil. Anger is an emotion. In fact, the Bible speaks about the anger of God. It says that we ought to be angry. If you're not angry, there's something wrong with your heart. Because there are things that should make you angry. It's called righteous indignation. In fact, there's a lot that should make you angry. But if you marinate in that anger, you're going to be dead. The, the truth is not, don't get, it doesn't say get rid of all anger. No. We ought to be infuriated by some of the things we say. But if you live your life in that anger, you are going to be in deep trouble. And in fact, what's going to happen is Satan is going to take hold of your life. Now, I hope there's no one here. I've never heard this of anyone in First Baptist. Honestly, I haven't. But I know some people who watch Fox News all day long. And some, perhaps, in this society watch CNN all day long. And they marinate from different sides of the aisle. They marinate in anger. And they are sitting ducks for the devil. They are the people you would never want in your church because the devil, devil's got their souls. You let that anger marinate in your soul. You are a sitting duck for the devil. So how do you get rid of it? Well, one good way to get rid of it is turn off the TV <laughs> or shut off for a time your social media. Oh, that'd be horrible. You couldn't do that. You couldn't live a day without that junk. Or could you? If, in fact, you find your watching of television and your social media is, is, is marinating your heart in anger, turn it off. You're killing yourself. And by the way, you're not just killing yourself. You're killing First Baptist Church. You're destroying this church. Because when you walk in here every Sunday, every time you show up, here's the devil. You've got horns coming out. You've got a nice big tail and a fork in your hand. You're, you're, you're the devil walking into this place. And you're going to kill this place if you let your life marinate in that anger that is everywhere in our culture. And by the way, the devil has been set loose in America today. He's everywhere. Every business. Every place you go because people are so angry. Christians, let's not be Americans. Let's not marinate in anger. Because if we do, we're destroying ourselves and everyone around us. Here's Aristotle. He saw it. Anyone can become angry. We all become angry. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way. Whoa. This is, he got it wrong here. This is impossible. <laughs> That's where he, he messed up on that one. Next. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. People in our culture would go, we agree with that, and they do. It's wonderful. Here's what we should do. Work. Doing something useful 
with your own hands. And here's why. That you may have something to share with those in need. Oh, another reason is strange. It says, don't steal, and instead of stealing, work hard. Now, what happens if you work hard generally in this wonderful country of America? Generally speaking, if you work hard, you get somewhat rewarded. And then, by being rewarded with money, guess what you've got? You've got more resources with which to help other people. What a great opportunity. Now, I'm waiting for the day, and maybe I'll find the first person at First Baptist Church. You'll be my first. I'm, I'm waiting for the day, and this is when someone's going to come up to me and say, they're my compatriot because I'm 65. They're going to say, Tom, I just turned 65, and I could retire, just like you have, well, sort of. And now I get to sit back and do nothing, play golf every day. Isn't this great? First of all, it's not great. Any of you who've been there know it's not great. But what if someone did this? He said, Tom, you know, I'm 65 and I could retire, but I'm still healthy. And I love work. It's a gift from God. And I am at the top of the salary scale at this point in my life. And guess what my needs are? My salary is going up and my needs are going down. You know, I think I'm going to work for five more years because I can amass a lot of money that I can give to missions. I can now work these years and I can give in ways that I've never been able to do when I was young. So I'm going to choose to work hard until I'm 70, 75. Because now I can give a lot of money. I could support a lot of missionaries. I can bring the gospel all over this world. Am I going to see you? When are you going to come and tell me you, that's what you're doing? You're choosing to work longer so that you will have extra money so that you can share with those in need. Because at my stage of life, it's kind of nice. My needs aren't great. My children are grown. My house is more or less paid for. But I can make money still. I don't have to. I could sit back and, and uh, put my feet up. What a waste of a life. And it destroys the privilege I could have to use my abilities to work help God's cause. Maybe some of you are going to be the first ones who are going to come up and say to me, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to keep working so I can give more money to help the cause of Jesus Christ around the world. I think, I think I'm going to fall over and die if you ever do that. I'll say, oh, good grief. You actually took the Bible seriously? Who would ever do that? That'd be a funny thing to do. But isn't that what it says? That's what it says. You see, isn't that different? What a di do you see how different that is? It's, it's, not in the, it's not in the command because many people in our, in our world would agree with that. It's in the reason. Why? Why work hard? So you have more to share. You have more to give away. That's why. Then it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Oh, you've got to be kidding it is horrible in America today. Horrible. 
I showed you Time Magazine. Every week I read People Magazine to familiarize me with the culture. I know many things about entertainers and musicians. I've never once heard their music. If you put them on the radio, I don't have a clue what they sound like. I don't know what Bieber sounds like. I don't know what Adele sounds like. I don't know what Beyonce sounds like, but I know a lot about their lives because I read about them. And what I read, what comes out of some people's mouths, and it's printed now. I can't believe it. I can't believe what comes out of... These are famous people. It's You cannot... I cannot read through hardly a page in people anymore without... When it it interviews anyone without asterisks because they're using the F word or the S word. You know all the words. They can't even get through a sentence without using those words. What have we become? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Well, what's the alternative? You, this is not a sewer. This is an instrument to help other people. It's not a sewer. Use your mouth to build other people up. Why? Because this mouth, rather than being a sewer that pours garbage on people, it can be used by God as an instrument that builds people up and helps them out and benefits them. My mouth is a, is a great, great asset. Use it for good. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When a Christians wear the clothes of the old man we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we use our mouths as sewers, when we refuse to work hard, when we do all these things, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And so now it summarizes the clothes we're supposed to take off. Take off bitterness. Take off rage, anger. Take off brawling and slander. Take off every form of malice. What should we put on? Put on kindness, compassion, forgiving each other. Why? Because God forgave you. That's the reason why. So here's the simple five things, practical. Don't tell lies. Do tell the truth. Why? Because we're part of the same body. Don't nurse your anger. Watch your wrath. Why? Because nursed anger gives the devil a foothold in your life. And who wants that? Don't steal from others. Work hard. Why? Because hard work will likely produce an excess that you can share with others. Oh, what a privilege. Don't talk bad. Talk good. Why? Because good words can have a powerful impact on other people's lives. We get to build people up. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by living for yourself. Follow Jesus. Love others. Why? Because God loves you. He forgave you. That's why we offer the same thing to other people. So we have a choice to make. The old you or the new you. But what do you see? Which you do you see in that picture? The old you. How many see the old woman? How many see the young woman? 
Let me see both. <laughs> they're both there. Do you see? Yeah, they're both there. Now this one, this would be the nose of the, the part that sticks out on the left. That's the nose of the young woman. And the crease, that's the mouth of the old woman. They're both there. Um, and that's much like us. We have the old you and the new you. And we get to choose. Are we going to live like the old you? Or are we going to live like the new you? And if we live like the new you, it's going to change the way we live. I conclude with a story. A story about two birds. This is actually a Native American legend. It tells about this brave who was out one day and he came across an eagle's egg. And he took the eagle's egg and brought it back to his home where there were some prairie chickens. And he put it in a nest and a prairie chicken sat on the egg and the egg hatched. And then the, the, the eagle um, was hatched and it grew up with all the prairie chickens and it thought it was a prairie chicken. So it scratched for food just like the prairie chickens and it aimlessly roamed around the yard like the prairie chickens and waited for the day that it would be slaughtered like the prairie chickens. And one day, after the eagle grew a little older, he one day looked up in the sky and saw this magnificent bird flying by and he said to his fellow prairie chickens, what's that? And they said, well, that's, a, that's an eagle. That's the most beautiful, the chief of all the birds. But don't give it a second thought. You could never be like him. And so the eagle that thought he was a prairie chicken spent all of his life scratching for food and waiting for the day that he would be slaughtered and never learned to fly like the eagle he was made to be. We can live like prairie chickens, spend our lives scratching for food, just following the crowd around the yard and waiting for the day of our death. But that is not who we are. We're eagles. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We're eagles made to fly. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that we would wait on you and you would renew our strength. And you would make us people who, who fly. Just like you were, actually you made us in Jesus Christ to do. And we would fly powerfully and we would fly high and we would find ourselves to be people who are brand new because of you. And I pray that we would stick out in our society as people who tell the truth and who work hard, who don't nurse anger and who don't grieve your Holy Spirit and who know what it is like to be forgiven and to forgive. May that represent us. To that end, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please stand with me now? As you leave this day, may God 
bless you, keep you. May his face shine upon you and may you have his peace. And as you do, may you mount up with wings like eagles and fly. God bless you.